Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another one of our weekly podcasts. My name is Richard. On behalf of Journey Community Church in Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Last week, we discussed the employee and employer relationship and how we as Christians are to handle both good and bad bosses. This week, we continue in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7 through 7, as we discuss the dynamic between a husband and wife and how we are to maintain a godly relationship. Now let's go ahead and dive into this week's message with Pastor Chris. Picture perfect. I think those are the two words that best can adequately define their life. They lived in paradise. They lived amongst beautiful trees and nature. They had pristine rivers flowing. Their marriage was ideal and perfect. They had everything they ever wanted. He cherished her as queen and she found her prince charming. But little did they know that everything was going to go south. And you know the story well. The serpent came to Eve and deceived her, and she ate of the forbidden fruit, and then Adam came and willingly ate of it too. And because of that, sin entered into God's creation. The curse was now on. And so God begins to curse the serpent, devil. God then begins to curse the woman. And then God then begins to curse the man. And it's an interesting passage because when God begins to curse the woman, he says, I am going to greatly enhance your pain in childbearing. And then the Lord says a statement that is often misunderstood or read over. The Lord curses the woman and says, and you are going to have a desire for your husband. And that ancient Hebrew word desire means to control. Because of the fall, the woman in the home is going to want to micromanage the husband. She's going to want to tell him what side of the bed to sleep on. What sink he can brush his teeth in? What color the wall should be? What material the towels should be? Where he should put his clothes? What he's going to eat? What friends are okay to hang out with and what friends aren't okay to hang out with? What time he'll be home and why, uh, and he better have a good excuse as to why he's not home at that time. That's a direct result of the fall. But here's the sad news. God goes on and says, but he shall rule over you. And the word rule means to dominate. It means to be a domineering figure. The man, because of the fall, is going to be harsh, brash, insensitive, unloving, uncaring, and is going to want to run over the female. Here you have, because of the fall, what we know as a 50% divorce rate. It is directly because of the fall. A woman is going to want to micromanage. The man is going to want to rule with an iron fist. And you have conflict within the marriage. You have two Indians and you, or two chiefs and no Indians. And that doesn't bode well for a relationship. And so God now, when he sends Christ and he brings up uh, a God-fearing people, a reverent people, a people to honor him, he now begins to put things in the way that they ought 
to be. And we get our passage this morning dealing with marriage from 1 Peter chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, turn there or turn on there to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to take verses 1 through 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So let me put this passage in its rightful context. Do you remember 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2? Peter is writing to a group of people, and where are they? Do you remember the cheat sheets in verse 1, chapter 1? Where are they? <clears throat> His audience that he's writing to. Not really. They're scattered throughout, and I'll read it to you. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. They are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And it's known, this society is known as the Roman Greco Empire or Roman Greco society. It's the Roman Empire, but it has very Greek or Hellenistic roots. Now, that society was very patriarchal. In the words of Etta James, it's a man's world. And to the extreme that it was written in law to be so. There's a law called patria protestas. Patria protestas. And what it means is the man's right or the, the man's legal authority. And it was extreme. It was so extreme. This man had a right to everything in his estate. And when I say everything in his estate, I mean everything. If he owned slaves, he had the right to do whatever he wanted with them. If he owned servants, he had the right to do whatever he wanted with them. If he had children, he had the right to do whatever he wanted with them. And if he had a wife, he had the right legally to do whatever he wanted to her. And it was so extreme that if he wanted to leave his family, if he wanted to sell his family to slavery, or if he wanted to kill his family, there could be no legal recourse. That's how serious it was when Peter wrote this, this passage. In fact, reform didn't happen until 70 years after under Emperor Hadian, right around the 130 AD mark. So this pro, uh, protestas was solid and sound. And so if a man had a daughter and she grew up and she was ready to be married, they would go through a rite called Manu Kumo. In the Spanish, it's con mano, which means what? With hand. So when a bride gave her hand in marriage, those legal rights that was under her father were stripped from him and given directly to her husband. What am I trying to say? In this context, in this culture Peter is writing, women had zero rights. They didn't even have the right to live. That's how serious this was. So as we read this, don't put it in the context of where we are today, but rather where God wants us to be and to the audience in which he originally wrote it. So I'll read the passage, and then we're going to break down the keys to a very vibrant and successful marriage. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through what? Seven. Seven. We got some listeners. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. 
but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, the former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding matter. And here's where the bras burn. As with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So we're going to look at the woman, and then we're going to look at the man, or the wife, and then we'll follow with the husband. Verse 3, in the same way. So for those of us who were here last week or heard last week's message, what way do you think he's referring to? Do you remember what we were talking about last week? Submitting as an employee to your employer. But even more specifically, how did Peter end that portion of Scripture off? Who is our model, our example of submission? Jesus. And so Peter is saying, Submission isn't a bad thing. Submission is a powerful thing. Submission isn't a weak thing. It's a place of strength. Just as whom? Jesus submitted. And so he's comparing a wife's submission in marriage to Jesus himself and his actions and his duties here on earth. So he says, in the same way or like manner, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. So I was reading a commentary and I was reading uh, one, one gentleman in particular and he says this word submission actually means love. Peter intended it to mean love. And that's flat out wrong. Not the case at all. The word submission is a, is a Greek military term, hupo tunes, and it means to fall in line under. So that is the opposite of love, if you will. Submission means to fall in line or to be under rank. That's the direct term in which Peter uses. But submission isn't. Or submission is not equal to two things. Number one, inequality. Submission to your husband does not mean inequality. It doesn't mean that he's better than you. It doesn't mean that you're less than him. What does Paul say in two different spots to two different churches? He says, whether you are a Jew or whether you are a Gentile, doesn't matter about your race, whether you are a slave or whether you are free. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Whether you are a male or whether you are a female, we are all what? One in Christ Jesus. So submission is not equal to inequality. In fact, couldn't be further from the truth. The second thing, submission does not equal putting up with everything. Submission does not equal putting up with everything. 
If your husband is beating on you, wailing on you, you know, using you as a punching bag, submission isn't, well, I just need to stay here. Submission is reconciling from a safe space. If your husband's running out, cheating on you, submission doesn't mean I have to stick it out, sit here, do nothing, and just be the fool. God has given recourse for actions like that. If your husband tells you to do something that God has commanded you not to do in his word, you honor God rather than your husband. And if your husband tells you to do something that God tells you not to do, you honor God rather than your husband. So what does submission mean biblically? And Peter gives us the answer in verse two. And this is really the first key to a vibrant marriage. And it comes from the side of the wife. And it deals with your outward behavior. Verse two, your outward behavior must be chaste and respectful. That's what submission is. Having a conduct, a life conduct of uh, being chaste and respectful. The word chaste is from the root word holy. It just means holy or pure living. God says, ladies, you are to submit to your husband and your lifestyle is to be that of purity or godliness. In other words, it should be void of anything that God does not approve of. It should be pure, holy, right in the sight of God. So that means we don't uh, maliciously gossip or talk about other people. We don't sit at home and, and be drunkards or, or uh, you know, abuse substances. We don't go out and, and do things that are wrong, like uh, flirt with other men or have any kind of emotional or physical interactions with other men that are not your husband. It means to be pure and it means to be holy. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And that's the key. A a wife's conduct is to be in line with God's word so that God's word is not to be dishonored. And that's what it means to be chaste, pure, or holy, to honor and to live by God's word. The second action item for outward behavior is respectful behavior. Respectful behavior. So how can we practically have respectful behavior in a marriage? Like what are some practical things in which we can be respectful or a a wife can really honor her husband in the way that God wants them to? So I just jotted down some things as I was studying. And the first thing is build him up don't break him down, right? Break, build him up and don't break him down. He's absolutely aware of his shortcomings. We don't have to be hypercritical and, and just indulge on what he's doing wrong and never acknowledge what he does right. 
I guarantee you, if you, you fan the flame on the things that he's doing right, and then you have uh, honest conversations in a respectful way about what he's doing wrong, there will be change. And so respect is uh, build him up, not break him down. Here's another thing. Speak well and speak well of him in front of others. This is a big one. Speak well of him in front of others. God has ordained him to be the leader of the home. And so it breaks a man down more and more and more when he is being belittled, especially in front of other people. And if you have kids, especially in front of your children, because then they see it's okay to disrespect dad. And when they do it, they violate God's command. And now they are in sin. And Jesus said something about when you cause little ones to sin, what happens to you? You might as well tie a millstone around your neck and jump, jump in the ocean. Because your actions, your example, has now caused your little ones to stumble and to fall. The third thing that we can do to respect is support his endeavors. Support his endeavors. If he has a dream, if he has ambitions, if, if he's trying to hustle and do something productive to, to help the family unit, fan the flame, you fill, fill the sail with wind. Don't, don't break it down, build it up. You'll be amazed, ladies, how far your support can go. I mean, you can be the deciding factor between something failing or succeeding. Right, like my big fat Greek wedding, the man's the head, but the women's the neck, right? And he needs your support. He needs that support. Encourage him in his endeavors. Number four, seek his advice. Seek his advice. Don't just say, hey, I did this, or hey, I was thinking about doing that, but hey, what do you think about this? That opens communication. And chances are he's going to say, I, I don't care. Do whatever you want anyway. But at least there's communication, and now he feels respected on that front. Number five, listen. God gave us two ears. God gave us one mouth, and two is greater than one, right? Two is greater than one. And then number six, and this is where submission really comes into play. He gets the, la the final decision. God entrusted him to make the final decision, whether that's buying a car or what school your kid's going to go to or whatever the case may be. You have your perspectives and your voice and your opinion. He has his. You discuss it. And if you're still at odds at the end of the day, the final decision rests with him. And guess what? If he does the wrong decision, he has to step into the Lord's office. And he is going to take accountability for that, not you. So that's great. You don't want that responsibility anyway. So give him the final decision. Ephesians chapter 5, and, and I won't read it all because uh, Joseph did it for us, but Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33 says this. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his wife even as himself. The wife must see to it that she respects her husband. And so if you've ever read that book, Love and Respect, they get it from that passage. A man more than anything else in a relationship wants to be respected by his wife. A woman more than anything else in their relationship wants to be loved by her husband. 
when a man feels disrespected, it's very difficult for him to love his wife as Christ loves the church. When a woman feels unloved, it's very difficult for her to respect her husband as she's called to do. And so it takes both parties doing their thing. And so respect can come when we build him up, speak well in front of others, support his ambitions, seek his advice, listen to what he has to say, and ultimately submit to the final decisions when you guys are at odds. And check out what the reward is or the effect to the cause of submission. And it's in verse one. In the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of your wives. So what is the effect of submitting? It's a wonderful ministry. It's a powerful ministry. It's an amazing ministry. If your husband is unsaved, you have the greatest evangelical ministry God has given anyone. You get to reach the, the person you love dearest with the gospel. And, it, and it's not through, uh, you know, coming at him or preaching at him or telling him he needs to get up or do better. It's by simply living out a godly life and being respectful to him. Now, if, you're, if your husband is married, or is married, I would hope to you, if your husband is saved and you're living this kind of life out, it's an incredible worship to God. It's an incredible service to the Lord. We think of worship as singing songs. Worship comes down to obedience. And you get to obey the Lord and earn fruit in heaven. And you get to serve God in that manner. And it's an incredible ministry. See, our culture today has it completely, I almost said the A word, backwards. We have it completely backwards. You know, the woman is called to be misindependent and, and, and uh, you know, she don't need a man and, and all this stuff. And that is robbing her of an incredible ministry where she can, she can raise up godly kids and they become godly people. And when they grow old, they turn to their mom and say, she's blessed. She's blessed, just like the virtuous woman. Her children say she's blessed, and what does her husband do? Sings her praise. See, that's the fruit when you raise godly people and they become godly adults and they change the world for good. That's fruit you get to see, and it's a direct result of obeying the Lord. And so it's an incredible ministry one that I'm actually envious of. I'd rather do stuff in private than be up here. And you get to serve and worship the Lord in an incredible way. So the outward behavior is a submissive behavior, and that is a holy and respectful life. Then let's look now at the second action item for the ladies, and that is inward attitude. What is the inward attitude to be? In verses three through four, your adornment must not merely be external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. So Peter isn't, uh, he's not throwing away the fact that you can't wear makeup. He's saying, hey, it's okay if you wear gold. Dresses are perfectly fine. Makeup is, is okay. 
But let not your beauty stop externally. Let it be the beautiful things of the heart. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but have you ever met someone where they're just really good to look at? They're pretty or they're super handsome. And as soon as they open their mouth, they're ugly. Like how, how many people, if you're dating post 2000, you've met millions of these people, right? They look so pretty on the outside, but they're ugly on the inside. Peter is saying the inward attitude is to be that of beauty. It's to be something to behold that comes from the inside. So what does a beautiful heart look like? It's number one, a gentle spirit. It's a gentle spirit. And it just means, the the Greek word literally means to not push your agenda. That's what the word means. It's like a political term that you're not doing everything in your power to try to push the law through. You're simply gentle. And here's the cool thing. The New Testament only uses this word four times. Only four times. Once right here, and the other three times come directly out of the mouth of Jesus, which is incredible. In Matthew 5, 5, the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the gentle. Your translations might say meek, but the word is gentle. For theirs is what? For they shall, anybody know? Inherit the earth. How incredible is that? Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus says it a second time when he says, take my yoke upon you and what? What else does he say? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then Jesus gives an autobiography about himself. What are we to learn from Jesus? I am gentle and I am lowly or humble in heart. Jesus says the way a person should be is to be gentle in spirit, not pushing an agenda, and to be humble in heart. And then the last time Jesus uses it, he says, behold, your king is coming. Gentle riding on a donkey. And so Peter says, in every way, be like Jesus, ladies. Be gentle. Don't try to push your agenda. Be submissive, and God will bless you. So the first quality of inward beauty is a gentle spirit. The second quality is a quiet spirit. And the Greek word literally means translated word for word, to be in order, to just have your life in order. Today's vernacular is don't be a drama queen. That's what it means. Don't be a drama queen. Don't go out craving, trying to, trying to stir up strife. Don't try to go and, and pick fights. Don't try and go and, and try to make something bad out of something that's been good. Don't, you know, gossip or, or get in other people's drama. Just have a quiet spirit about you. You know, staying in line is what it means, but within yourself. You know, not extending yourself and muddling in other people's affairs. Just being quiet. And here's the result of that. And this is amazing. So what is the result of inward beauty, gentle and quiet spirit? It is precious in the sight of God. The word precious is extreme value. Do you know what happens when, ladies, if you submit to your husband respectfully and you have a a quiet and gentle demeanor about you? God looks at you with incredible value. Your stock is like way up there. It's a bull market in heaven. 
I mean, God looks at you and he cherishes that. He's in love with that. He, he seeks after that. That's how valuable you are. It is precious in the sight of God. Now, Peter, in typical Peter fashion, he gives a command, then he gives his reasoning, and then he gives an example. Remember last week, uh, servants be submissive, and then this is the reason why, and then he gives the example of uh, Jesus. Then we see here, same way. He gives the command, be submissive, and then he gives the reasoning why, and then in verses 5 and 6, he gives the example, a biblical example, a model in which you can uh, look to to replicate. Verses 5 and 6. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham. And here's a bar, another bra burner, calling him Lord. For you have become children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. So Peter says, look at the Old Testament saints. Look at the women like Hannah. Look at the women like Ruth. Look at the women like Esther and even Naomi. Look at these, these incredible people. And look at what they did. They hoped in God. They, they just trusted the Lord fully that God would have the, his best intentions or their best intentions. And then he uh, picks out Sarah obeying Abraham. Why do you think Peter or the Holy Spirit through Peter picked out Abraham above any other woman? There's two reasons why, why I believe Peter picked specifically Sarah out of every other woman. Okay. So one, we'll look at it from who she's married to. Who is, she, who is Sarah married to? Abraham. And who's Abraham to us? The father of many nations. In fact, what, if you remember from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, our, what do we get from Abraham? Our inheritance. Remember Galatians 3, we spent some time on it. Uh, those who are, have faith in Christ, we are sons and daughters in whom? Abraham. And because we are sons and daughters in Abraham, we have the direct right and legal authority to claim an inheritance. Now, she's the matriarch. She's the one in whom uh, you are to follow in her example. You have everlasting life through Christ, through Abraham, in whom she's one flesh with. And that's an incredible thing. But here's number two, and I think this is really the heart of why Peter chose Sarah. She did what with Abraham? She obeyed him. Now imagine, put yourself in her sandals for one moment. He comes home and he says, babe, God spoke to me. And, and he told me to leave everything and, and to go to some land. I, I don't know where, but he, that's what he told me. So let's go. And, and she sits there and says, some God you don't know told you to leave everything you do know to go to some place you don't know. Did I get that right? That's right, babe. And what does she do? Let's go. I'm down. Let's go. And she obeyed and she, she left. Now, 
Did good things happen or bad things happen right away? Pretty bad things happen right away. They get into the land. There's a severe famine there. Abraham's thinking, I'm going to kill my poor wife, kill myself. We're going to starve to death here. Let's go down to Egypt. And imagine that conversation. Babe, we're getting out of here. We're going to Egypt. All right, so the, the God that you trusted to get us here, did he tell you to go there? Nope. Okay, so are you trusting God that he's going to take care of you? Yep. So why aren't we staying here? Babe, let's go to Egypt. And what did she do? Let's go. And what happened to her? She gets to Egypt and she's taken into Abimelech's harem. He says, oh, because she's physically beautiful. I like you. You're coming with me. And she's taken away from Abraham and she's put into the harem. Now, look where obedience got her, right? Look where submission got her. She's probably thinking, like, I should have never listened to this guy. I, I should have had an action item plan laid out completely. But she submitted unto the Lord because she submitted to Abraham. And what did God do? Protected her. God came to Abimelech in a dream and said, you touch her, you're wiped out. And so he treated her very well, didn't come near her, gave her back to Abraham, and then they went off their merry way with a ton of possessions. The more I think about it, I think God blessed that family because of her more than because of him. He was unfaithful. She was faithful. You know what I mean? So I'm like, that's pretty cool. And Peter is saying, that is the model. That's the model. You might not agree with it. You might not understand it. But you're submitting as unto the Lord. And then the end of verse 6 says, without being frightened by any fear. You just simply trust God by submitting to your husband, and God will take care of the rest. So just summing it up from a, uh, the woman's angle is submission and then ultimately an inward spirit or a quiet and gentle spirit. And what does that bring? An incredible ministry. It, it brings a, a, a preciousness in the sight of God, and it brings really an act of faith by which God can bless his child. Then we get to the man. So if you men think you got off the hook, not happening. Now it's the man's job. Turn to verse 7. Now this is what us as men are to do. Verse 7, you husbands. And can anybody read that, that the next four words for me? In the same way. What do you think he's referring to? In the same way. So Christians are to submit to the government. We're to submit to our employer. Wives are submit to their husbands. And then what do the husbands do? In the same way they submit. Wow. Game changer. Now none of the dudes are smiling anymore. Look at that. You guys are just a uh, straight face. There we are. In the same way, husbands also submit. But it's a submission in a different way. It's a different role. And so what does submission look like for the man? Peter goes on and says, Live with your wives in an understanding way. As someone weaker, she is a woman. The word woman or uh, the word weaker means fragile. She's more fragile than you. So what are we called to do? Live with her in an understanding way. The Greek word is nosko. You might know that because what's an agnostic? Someone that doesn't know. 
So you drop the A or the alpha primitive, and Gnostic is someone who knows. And it means to know someone intimately. It, need, it means to know someone fully. Adam knew Eve, and she bore a son. So it means to know someone on varying levels. It means personally, intellectually, spiritually, physically, emotionally, in every way, husbands, you are called to know your wives. You are called to take the time to understand her, to know what her likes are, to know what her dislikes are, to know what her ambitions are, to know what her dreams are, what her favorite food are. You know, all these things you are to know your wife. Sounds pretty easy, right? I don't think there'd be a 50% divorce rate if it was that easy. We are called to understand or to know our wives. So what does it mean to really know her? And here's three points. Number one, for men, it means to be sensitive to her. Because of the fall, it is unnatural for a woman to want to submit to her man. Likewise, because of the fall, it is unnatural for a man to want to be sensitive. It's unnatural for men to be sensitive to their wives. It takes work. Can I get an amen or is it just me here? <laughs> I'm like, but you're killing me here. <laughs> it takes work to know your wife and to be sensitive to her. Be sensitive to her feelings. Be sensitive to her personal ambitions. Be sensitive to her personal desires. Be sensitive to her physical needs. It takes work and it takes effort and it does not come naturally. You know, if you neglect your wife, don't expect her to, to, to want to view you as leader because you're not leading in the home in the way that God has called you to be. When her feet hurt, rub them. When she needs lotion on her back, put lotion on her back. When she wants to sit down and talk, sit down and talk. When she wants to watch those dumb TV shows, <sighs> just do it. <laughs> do whatever you got to do. <laughs> but be... <laughs> No hallmark, no lifetime. Those are the rules. <laughs> be, sensitive. <laughs> be sensitive to her feelings, her desires. Here's the second thing in knowing your wife. Be loving. The Bible says this. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. It is very unnatural for a man to be genuinely loving. At least agape love. A man can be uh, eros love, which is sexual love. Girl, I want to make love to you. Every man could do that. But the agape love that uh, the Bible calls men to be is an ever-encompassing, sacrificial love. So here it is. Men, how do we submit? If your dreams, your ambitions, your desire is to see your name on a tower, but that is at the expense of your wife, then you submit those ambitions to her. And you say, I'm not going to uh, pursue those things for the betterment of your sake. That's sacrificially dying to yourself in order that you can live for your wife. Now, if she's submitting and being respectful, kind and considerate, she's going to back you up and say, babe, go for it. And then now at least there's a dialogue where you can meet in the middle. There can be some give and take and there can be some compromise. <laughs> Except Facebook? 
Oh, baseball, yeah, we're not touching that one. <laughs> one day at a time, sister, one day at a time. So we are to be sensitive, we are to be loving. The third thing is, when in, in dealing with knowing your wife and living with her, is to be caring. The passage that Joseph read says this, you know, love your wives as you love yourself. Man, how do we love ourselves? Two ways, the Bible says. We nourish our bodies and we cherish our bodies. We go and we buy protein shakes and amino acids, right? And we go and we lift weights and we do all these things. We're nourishing our bodies. In the same way you nourish your body, nourish your wife. Pour into her. Feed her. Build her up. Strengthen her. Come alongside her in every way. Nourish her. Nourish that relationship. The second way is cherish her. Cherish her like you cherish yourself. Who brushes your teeth in the morning? You do. Who combs your hair in the morning? You do. Who showers yourself? You do. You cherish yourself. In like manner, cherish your wife. That means, one, spending quality time with her. So her quality time and your quality, uh, RG's already getting B over there. <laughs> See, we got some fasting to do. <laughs> her idea of quality time and your idea of quality time might be completely different. Here's the newsflash, man. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. Why? Because you're submitting unto your wife's needs. As a leader in the home, that's what you're called to do. So it means spending quality time with her. It means being honest with her. It means being honest with her. Right? Where's that money going? What are you doing after work? All these different things. Being truthful. Being honest. So that she knows every time you tell her what you're doing, where you're at, that is the exact truth. Another way to cherish your wife, here's a big one, accept her for who she is accept her. She has flaws. She's not perfect. Neither are you. She has major insecurities. So do you. She has all these issues she's dealing with in her own mind. Some may be true. Others may be false, but you don't have to pick at them, right? You don't have to put the spotlight on them. You don't have to make her feel worse. You accept her for exactly who she is. And when she trusts you and when she can confide in you and when she knows that you have her best intentions in mind, guess what? She will open up. And when she opens up, you cherish that, you nourish that, you build it back up. And so that's the way in which men, we are called to understand our wives. We are number one. Anybody remember? B. See, if you men don't have... See, now I know what you got ladies are dealing with here. Number one... <laughs> be sensitive. Number two, be loving. Number three, be caring. And you're caring by nourishing and cherishing her as God's gift to you. Then he goes on in the second part of verse seven, and he gives us our second action item, men, and it's this. Honor her and show her, can I get the men to say that H word? Show her honor. honor. One more time for the rest of you. Show her, Sergio, honor. You honor your wives. Listen to this. As a fellow heir of the grace of life. Do you get that? She's not here and you're here. She's co-heir. She's equal playing field. 
same equality. She's a co-heir, a fellow heir of the grace of life. She's a child of God, just like you're a child of God, period. And you are to honor her like that. The word honor her is to esteem her highly. It's a picture of a crown on a head. So she's bowing in submission in the relationship, and then you bow to her, placing her above yourself. And that's the picture of biblical marriage. You're placing her, you're showing her off to the world, you are holding her up high. So how can we practically as men honor her? How can we do it? Number one, protect her reputation. As men, protect your wife's reputation. Don't go with the boys and say, man, that old ball and chain and just drop bombs, right? You protect her reputation as your other half. Number two, don't be hypercritical of her. You put too much salt in the eggs again, are you, you know, and, and showing all the things. That, come on, brother. Listen, listen. <laughs> he goes, did you hear that? <laughs> be, don't be hypercritical of her faults. In other words, build her up and don't tear her down. Number three, praise her talents and abilities. Praise her talents and abilities. When you go through the, the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, it's incredible to me how the writer, probably her son, wrote of all her incredible attributes. And he was praising all her capabilities and her gifts and her talents. You know, fester that, nurture that, fan that flame. Praise her for her talents and abilities. Here's a big one. Acknowledge her efforts. Acknowledge her efforts. The dinner may not have come out exactly how you or her envisioned it. You know, the, the party may have been a flop, whatever the case may be. But you want to acknowledge her efforts. The motivation behind it was loving, was caring, was sensitive, was for the, the betterment of the family. So acknowledge her uh, motivation and her accomplishments and her efforts in those things. Number, I think this is number five. God gave you two ears and one mouth. Two is greater than one. Right? Listen, then speak. Listen, <laughs> then speak. Lastly, support her ambitions. Support her ambitions. If your, your girl comes to you and says, hey, I want to start a blog, don't just slam her down. You're too dumb. You're too whatever. You're too busy. Don't do that. I, babe, I want to start a floral company. Babe, I want to, whatever her ambitions are, if they're godly or they're virtuous, support those. Come alongside. See how you can help. Be her anchor. Be her rock. Encourage her to be a better person. Don't just throw her down in the basement. Don't think of her as you can only walk around with no shoes and just keep popping out my babies. Right? You want to acknowledge her. You want to support her ambitions. You want to make sure that she is all that she can be in the Lord. And what's the effect? As men... What happens when we understand our wives in a sensitive, loving, caring way and we honor her? Look at the last uh, clause. So that your prayers will not be hindered. 
as a leader, the worst thing you can do as a Christian leader is to have your prayers hindered. It's the blind leading the blind at that point. You don't know where you're going. You don't know how you're going to get there. You don't know if God's in this thing or not. You don't know how to do it. You don't know where, where to go or, or how to get help. And guess what? There's radio silence from heaven. And so you're just blind walking around with your, with your wife next to you. She's doing her job and she's submitting unto you. And so she thinks you're going to lead her to the promised land. You don't even know where you're going. And it's because you're not doing what God has called you to do. Therefore, your prayers are hindered. And so as a leader in the home, we want our communication with God to be open. We want everything to be bright. We want to know exactly where God is taking us, how he's going to do it, what steps we need to take. We need that divine intervention. And so do yourselves and your family unit a favor and know your wife and honor her. And that will allow your prayers to not be hindered. And guess what? You have an amazing family that can do incredible things for God's glory. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time in which we can uh, really get in your word and just uh, focus uh, on what you have to say, Lord God. And this might not be culturally correct or politically correct, but we are all about being biblically correct. And so, Lord God, we will stand on your word. We seek to honor you in all that we do. And for God, anybody that uh, these words may offend, I pray, God, that you would begin to humble them, humble that spirit. If a man thinks that he can do whatever he wants and his home is his castle, Lord God, then humble that man. Lord, we just pray that we can be a people like Jesus, gentle, meek, mild, with extraordinary strength to endure and to continue on to fulfill the Father's will. And so, Lord, help us in marriage so that we can be a people that would see it through to the very end. And for our singles here today, Lord, I, I pray they would keep themselves pure until the day that you would call that special person in their life and that they would take these words today and begin to practice them, begin to seek to honor their future wife, begin to seek to uh, the, the capacity, Lord, to understand a woman and all her needs. Begin, Lord, the capacity to be able to, to submit, Lord, and have a gentle and quiet spirit. And Lord, for our singles, may this be a checklist, may this be a filter in which they choose their spouse. Someone in whom is willing, Lord, to honor God through honoring your words on marriage. So, Lord, we just thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. And that is the end of this week's podcast. We thank you for joining us for another inspiring message. If you enjoyed this teaching, please take a moment and share it with others. If you're interested and would like to find out more information about our location, time of worship service, or even what ministries we offer, we encourage you to visit our Facebook page at Journey Community Church Fontana, where you can find all that information and more. Again, on behalf of Journey Community Church in Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you here next time.